four verses of scripture from the book of Ephesians chapter three, verses 16 through 19. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus, at Ephesus, and here is what he said. He said, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I'm going to begin this morning a new sermon series as I sought the Lord and asked him what to bring to you uh, in the season between uh, Resurrection Sunday, which was Easter, and uh, Pentecost Sunday, which was 50 days later. That's June the 5th. I asked the Lord if he had something special he wanted me to share with you, and he's laid this on my heart. So we're going to begin this series today, and then next week we'll pause the series, and we'll have a special guest speaker for Mother's Day, and then we'll resume the next three Sundays after that. But today, I want to begin this sermon series that I've simply titled, Beneath the Surface. And today we're going to look at part one. We're going to talk about praise and purpose. If you will, one more time, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your precious people that are assembled together to hear your word. We pray for the next few moments you would remove every hindrance that would distract us. And that, Lord, you would anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you would speak to your people today. I pray, Lord, that you would move me out of the way. As the Apostle Paul said, decrease me until I'm nothing, that your spirit may be increased within me. That I would not preach with enticing words of men's wisdom, but it would be your word that would come forth today in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. And Lord, we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise for what is done through the preaching of your word today in advance, because we know your word will not return void. So we give you thanks for what it will accomplish in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Beneath the surface, uh, I said this morning in the 845 service, Trevor uh, so uh, very well captured my heart and my thought for this series when he did this graphic. And uh, he, he didn't see my notes or anything, so I was really impressed when, when I saw the, the graphic. So I want to start talking today about what's beneath the surface. Uh, something that is overlooked many times, but it's very powerful and it's very essential. They are unseen, but uh, many people know that they can split concrete. They can split driveways and destroy roads. However, they are essential to sustain life. They are what actually produces life and fruit in a plant or a tree. And we brag about producing fruit, but if we do not have roots, we will not have fruit. Say amen, somebody. Y'all say amen. Say praise the Lord. All right. If you'll help me preach, I promise you it'll go much better and much quicker uh, this morning. But what's beneath the surface, I want you to notice what is beneath the surface is directly responsible for what you see above the ground. And it's directly responsible for maintaining what is above ground. And we very seldom stop to think about roots or root systems uh, of plants and trees. But however, uh, when it comes to the church, that can get us in trouble sometimes. 
Have you ever met somebody who didn't have the roots that were necessary to produce fruit? Have you ever met somebody who didn't have the roots that were necessary to keep them planted when the storms of life came? I, I want us to talk about that today because we need to have a strong root system. When I begin to study this week about roots, there are a couple things about roots, uh, two specific purposes that caught my attention that I want to share with you. The first one is what is known as the root cap. That is, uh, the root cap secretes uh, a substance that acts as a lubricant, if you will, and it aids the root system and it assists the root system in its ability to move. And as we take the next few weeks to talk about the roots beneath the surface of Freedom Point Church, I think we could easily see the correlation. These roots aid us in both our movement and our growth for the kingdom. The second significant thing that I want to share with you about roots are that roots anchor a plant during a storm and they provide sustenance to that plant in periods of drought and dry weather. Now there are some scary uh, prophecies, if you will, and predictions and things that are coming out right now about what we are headed toward and what we may face uh, in this world. And if you follow Bible prophecy, any at all, you'll, you'll almost be able to watch the current events and the news and on a daily basis it just seems like it's just unfolding right before our eyes. But I believe that if we are rooted this will have huge implications for us in our walk with Jesus in the day and the hour in which we live. I think it's essential as Christians and as a local body of believers to occasionally do a root check. And I know that when it comes to uh, ladies' hairdos, right, nobody likes it if somebody looks at you and says, hey, I can see your roots, right? But in this case, I want us to not only be able to see our roots, but I want us to examine them closely because I believe that they will be vital in, in helping us move forward in growth and they will anchor us and sustain us. Our roots around here are, are in plain sight every single week. Our roots are what enable us and empower us to accomplish our purpose, which we're going to talk about a little later on uh, in this sermon today. Our roots are our core values. They are the foundation of everything we do. Now, in the church of God, we have the declaration of faith, and we have our doctrinal commitments, and those are out there on the wall, and those are, uh, those are doctrine, if you will, for all of us. Any church of God, Cleveland Assembly that you attend uh, in the United States, and many other denominations agree with us completely as well. But any church that you attend, those things are basic. They are fundamentals. Those are foundational things that we stand on. But in addition to those things, there are eight other things here that we specifically hold dear, that our church adopted. And those are, uh, the, the, that's the purpose of those clear acrylics that you see as you exit the sanctuary and look across the lobby, those clear acrylics that are hanging on the wall. They are there to remind us that these are the things that keep us moving. These are the things that keep us strong. And these are the things that keep us passionate. So here's what our root system is, these eight things. First of all, presence over performance. We want to pursue the presence of God in our worship, not the performance of man. Say amen, somebody. 
encounter over entertainment. Uh, we want to strive to lead others into a genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit, not to entertain them. Intimacy over industry. We want to lead others into a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And our purpose is not to make a name or a profit for our church or ourselves. Next, purpose over programs. We want to focus on God's calling and God's purpose for our lives, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, rather than the programs that the church offers. We have some wonderful programs, but we must never lose sight of our purpose. Next, servanthood over status. Humbly serving others like Jesus did. That's why we emphasize serving around here so much, and so many of you are plugged into serving, and I can't thank you enough for that. But we emphasize it because Jesus humbly served others. So humbly serving others like Jesus did, not obtaining status and positions of authority uh, with men. Just last night, I, I got a phone call from uh, Kathy Crab Hannah. That's the mom to all of the Crab family. And we've been personal friends for many years, and we were just talking and having general conversation, and she was telling me about how somebody in their ministry uh, just willingly gave up being on the platform and doing a job that was in the spotlight to go to another position uh, and do something that nobody ever saw but how awesome they were where they were listen that is what it's all about humbly serving others like Jesus did not trying to seek status and positions of authority with men pleasing God over pleasing man that's the sixth one our goal is here we go our goal is not to make the church happy y'all are quiet our goal is not to make the church happy our goal is to make the church holy because when the church is holy, God is happy. Number seven, kingdom growth over church growth. Jesus has called us to win the lost. And when we grow the kingdom of God, God will build his church. Let me tell you this morning, I'm so thankful for the five people that we celebrated baptism with. Uh, we could have celebrated possibly with more that got saved in this church, knelt here in an altar and gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. But they moved on to go be baptized somewhere where their family attends church. And I'm all about that because listen, this is not about us. This is not about growing Freedom Point Church. This is about the kingdom of God. And when we focus on growing the kingdom, God will build his church. Say amen, somebody. And last but definitely not least, number eight is Jesus over everything. And we broaden that by saying Jesus will always be the central focus of everything that we do. So in order to maintain these core values, we need to focus on some things. And to make it simple, I've used some words, eight words, that all start with the letter P that I'm going to focus on in this sermon series. And, and here they are. They all go back to our core values. Praise, purpose, people, place, prayer. How many knows prayer is important? Pentecost, presence, and preaching. And I'm saving preaching for the very last because after I deliver that message, if you don't like it, you'll quickly get over it. Amen. So today, though, we're going to look at the first two. And those, these first two are vital roots that sustain us and help us grow. And that is praise and purpose. We're going to talk about those today. Now, in this church, we believe that praise is a life-giving root to us. Say amen. 
I believe that we were purposed to praise. As a matter of fact, the Word of God tells us that's what we were created to do. We were created to worship. And I know that you expect to hear that praise is important when you attend a church service. But my question this morning is, is why is praise important? Why should we spend time in worship? Why do we take the time out of a service to worship and to praise? How does, if we're talking about a root system, Pastor, how does praise anchor us? How does praise move us? And how does praise sustain us? I want us to look at, for those of you who have been in church all of your life, probably a very familiar story. Many of you, maybe not so familiar, but I want us to examine it together. It's found in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 20. And I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to bounce around a little bit so that you get the gist of the story. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 1. The word said, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meonites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Drop down to verse 20. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers, listen to this, to walk ahead of the army, singers, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. At the very moment, they began to sing and do what? And give praise. The Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. Verse 25, King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. Remember that. They found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. Now let's drop down to verse 30. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace. Can anybody use some peace this morning? For his God had given him rest. Anybody need some rest? On every side. So I want to talk this morning first of all about praise and then we'll talk about purpose. In this story that we just read this morning, we must first understand that they faced a huge army and a hostile army. And it's important to be rooted in praise because the task at hand that is given to the church to do is huge. It's a huge task to preach the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Go, therefore, and preach uh, in the Great Commission. It's a huge task. And let me tell you something else this morning. The one who opposes us is hostile. Our enemy is hostile. And we find ourselves figuratively speaking, in the same situation as Jehoshaphat. The enemy that we face this morning is not small. He is not dormant. He is, in fact, advancing, and he's determined to take not only more territory, but he's determined to take our territory from the kingdom of God. Now, first of all, there's one thing that we must understand. No praise 
equals no victory. And we have to fight for ourselves. Let me say that again. No praise equals no victory. And we have to fight for ourselves. Listen, I can't fight for you. And you can't fight for me. No praise equals no victory. And we each have to fight for ourselves. Now the psalmist David was very clear throughout the book of Psalms that God fights for us. Is anybody glad about that this morning? In fact, he often cried out to God to fight his battles. And I didn't give Eric this passage of scripture for the screen because it's in, uh, I love the message translation sometimes because it so opens up what the word is saying. And in the message translation of Psalms chapter 35 verses 1 and 2, I love the way David said this. He said, harass these hecklers, God. Punch these bullies in the nose. Wouldn't anybody just like to pray that way sometimes? Grab a weapon, anything at hand, and stand up for me. He called in another passage of scripture, very familiar to you in the Psalms, he called God our shield. He called him our buckler. He called him our strong tower. And in another passage of scripture, he said that God was a, our refuge and our strength, a very present help in the time of need. See, David recognized the fact that God will fight for us. However, we must understand and recognize the fact that there's a hinge pin that determines whether God will fight for us or not. Jehoshaphat's unlikely victory teaches us that when we worship, God goes before us. And he not only routes the enemy, he actually sets ambushments for the enemy. He lies in wait for the enemy. Why? Because if you don't get anything else I say this morning, hear this. When we worship, God wars. I said when we worship, God wars. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but even as your pastor, I have some things that I would like to see God ambush. Anybody else? Can I get a witness in the house this morning? I have some things that I would like to see God fight. I have some situations that I would love to see God just hide around the corner uh, from that situation and step out and pounce the enemy. I would love to see, because that enemy is lying in wait, I would love to see God lying in wait to pounce on him. We're getting ready to go through empty nest syndrome at our house because, as you know, Abby's getting married in August and Shelby's going to an apartment in August and then he probably won't be back and uh, I hope she's not back. That wouldn't be good. Amen. Right, Jordan? That wouldn't be good. So anyway, we're getting ready to go through empty nest syndrome around our house and so Angie decided, of all things, you have to understand she never wanted the first dog. But we have a, we've had a dog for nine and a half years, and of all things, she wanted another puppy. Uh, I guess it was empty nest syndrome. So now we have one that's about 19 weeks old. He is, he's uh, sweet as he can be, but he thinks he's some other kind of creature, I believe, because he loves to pounce. How many knows what pouncing is? He's like the, the, the roaring lion that the Bible talks about. He says, uh, he roameth about seeking whom he may devour. He don't really want to devour, but he loves to pounce. And Bentley has been around for nine and a half years. He's never in his life been around another dog. Trust me when I say he thinks he is a human. He doesn't think there's any difference in us and him, and he has no clue what this black fur ball of a creature is that pounces him from around every corner. He doesn't like it. He fights against it. The, he, he lies in wait because what all Bo wants to to do all he wants to do is play with him but Bentley just can't lock that in he thinks he's attacking me every time and it's not pretty he fights back he bites and he gets angry so but it's just like the enemy 
The enemy is always, listen, he's always lying in wait. And when you least suspect it, he'll pounce you out of nowhere. Anybody ever been there? He'll, he'll blindside you out of nowhere. And listen, I want to tell you something this morning. I'm smart enough to know that well, you can't be experiencing what we've been experiencing in this church for the last seven months and the enemy not be lurking around every corner. What are you talking about, Pastor? I didn't realize until I was doing some paperwork this week after Membership Sunday, last Sunday, that in the last seven months, God has planted 70 new members in Freedom Point Church. I, th I thank God for that. One of the biggest reasons I thank the Lord for that is I can look over that list and I can see numerous people. I can look around the room this morning. I can see numerous people in that list who, who first of all, either got saved or rededicated their life to the Lord or God restored their home and did something and put them back together, placed them in the church, and then they made a covenant relationship with the church. A, a membership is a covenant relationship. I thank God that they have made, those 70 people have made that uh, commitment now there's many other faces that maybe haven't made that commitment yet and we invite you to do that and I appreciate the fact that you pray about it and you're serious about it before you make that commitment but God has added 70 members to his church in the last seven months and this morning had Carrie been able to be here and not been sick we would have baptized in the last seven months 23 people 22 with her being sick today I think we ought to give the Lord praise for that this morning Because the baptisms are representative of the people that not only got saved here or rededicated their life here, but people that uh, decided to, to be planted here. There's been more people than that that have been saved or rededicated their life to the Lord in the last seven months than what we've baptized. But some went other places to be baptized. That's wonderful. Some are attending church other places. That's wonderful. As I said earlier, it's about building the kingdom. But listen to me this morning. We cannot expect to be, I can't remember the last time we had a weekend that something didn't happen. Somebody rededicate their life or somebody get saved or God do something miraculous in somebody's life. I almost can't remember a weekend when that didn't happen but we cannot expect to be experiencing what we're experiencing and not have enough sense to know that the enemy's not happy he's lying in wait somewhere he's ready to attack and we better be prepared how do we prepare all you got to do is praise just keep praising keep worshiping because when we worship God wars and if we fail to praise I asked this morning if this was a word, and so I got an answer after the 845 service. I said, if we fail to praise, we leave our enemies unambushed. Well, the proper word is in ambushed, but still, not ambushed. You get it, right? But I did get an answer after the 845 service. But if we fail to praise, we leave our enemy in ambushed. And listen, I don't want to fight my own battles. Because when I fight, I lose. But when God fights... We win. Amen. But silence, listen, silence leads to surrender. You just heard the story of Jehoshaphat. I want to share another story with you as I was reading this week when I talk about our praise goes before our victory. Many times in the church, we want to wait and praise God after the victory. But it's a key component for us to recognize that we praise God before the victory. We, we read the story of Jehoshaphat. I didn't even know there was a story uh, in 
uh, a secular story, if you will, that is so closely related. Uh, Britt, do you teach history? He probably knows this story. We've got a history teacher here this morning. Um, it was Easter morning, 1799, and the people of Feldkirch, Austria, were terrified. They believed that this Easter would probably be the very worst day of their lives because outside of the gates, uh, just about six miles from the main entrance of the city, just outside the gates stood the army of Napoleon Bonaparte. Now, everybody's heard of Napoleon, and he wanted in the city city of Feldkirch and the citizens were ready to just raise the white flag of surrender and just surrender to their army and give them the city but I love this story see the bishop of the church had another agenda and so he called a prayer meeting somebody say prayer changes things he called a prayer meeting and here's what happened all the Christians that were in Feldkirch gathered on the evening before Easter Sunday and they began to pray some accounts of the history session some accounts of the story say that they prayed all night long while others say they prayed way up into the night but in any event in the on the next morning in a voice trembling with emotion the bishop stood up before all the townspeople and he said this is Easter Sunday this is the day of our King's resurrection we must have one moment of triumph before we surrender and he said let us ring all the bells of Easter see in Feldkirch everybody had bells that they rang on Easter and he said let us ring all the bells of Easter and some of the people were like oh no we can't do that it's a dead giveaway to where we are and they'll come after us and he said no we need one moment of triumph this morning this is the day of the resurrection of our King let us ring the bells of Easter and they the story goes that they began to ring the bells and the bells were peeling out a celebration of victory that began to fill the air and as they be, as he began to ring other people began to ring and before you knew it across the town people were hearing the ringing of the bells and they got their Easter bells and they began to ring and then before you know it Napoleon's army who was some six miles down the road just outside the gate were astounded they heard the ringing of the bells and the sound grew louder and louder and they said what could this mean and it didn't take long for the generals in the army to conclude that the only one possible explanation that could account for such a celebration was that the Austrian army must have arrived during the night to help defend the town and the bells were still ringing when the French army decided go ahead and put down your guns start packing up your stuff because we're going back I want to tell you something this morning your praise will send your enemy in retreat did you hear what I said I said your praise will send your enemy in retreat it caused confusion and the army Napoleon took his army and he left and Feldkirch was never conquered because of that you see yes there is praise after the victory but the Austrians found out what Jehoshaphat knew and that is that praise must go before the victory let me say it like this this morning your victory could be wrapped up in your praise in the book of Psalms chapter 8 and verse 2 in the NIV translation the word said through the praise there's that word of children and infants you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the Avenger what the psalmist is saying here is that even a childlike praise will silence our enemies listen I'm just gonna be honest with you this morning that's why I'm not interested in putting on a good praise and worship show 
I'm not impressed by quote-unquote worship that is nothing more than a display of talent. Are you with me this morning? And we are blessed around here. We have talent, my goodness. We are so blessed. I serve on the, on the state music committee, and I'm telling you, this region has some of the best music in the entire region. We are blessed, but listen, folks, it's not about talent. I said it's not about talent. It's about worship because this is a battle. Can I get a witness? This is warfare. This is a real live battle that we are engaged in on a daily basis. And our worship is in fact a, a combat in our hands. And listen, it should be raw. Our worship should be raw. It should be excellent, yes. And we strive for excellence around here. But it should be raw with power. Our worship should be raw with faith. It should be raw with guts, and it should be stained by the blood of our enemy. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that every single time we assemble together for worship, we ought to leave the enemy shaken and frightened and saying, I hear the sound of victory in their camp again. I believe I'll go back, and I won't try what I was going to try. That's why it's imperative for us to come to church and to service ready and prepared to worship to get engaged in worship. How many people like sports? A lot of people. This ain't a spectator sport. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not a spectator sport. You don't just sit back and enjoy it. Yes, the worship team gets up and they go before us, but we too must engage in worship and in this warfare. Don't just stand by and watch. Put your praise in the battle because no praise is no victory. Praise also provides plunder. Got any plunder jewelry people in the house this morning? <laughs> I knew I'd see some hands if I said that. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to verse 25, if Eric will put that back on the screen for us this morning. I'm looking forward to that day that God gives us more plunder than we can carry. See, in verse 25, it said King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They found vast, that's a lot, vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it all. But do you know when that day will come? That day is directly linked to our praise. Because when they praised and God fought the battle, that's when they got the plunder. Our praise provides plunder. And then lastly, our praise produces peace. On down in verse 30, tells us that God gave Jehoshaphat rest and peace during the rest of his reign. Praise produces peace. And it's imperative that we are rooted to praise because when we praise, we will find peace. Listen, it's hard to stay stressed out and scattered when you praise. When we refocus our attention on God, everything else fades away. Did you hear what I said? When we refocus our attention on God, everything else fades away. Troubles seem to vanish. What happens when we worship? Why does worship produce peace? Because first of all, our perspective changes. Our problems and our adversaries may be huge, but in comparison to God, not so much. We, so instead of focusing all of our attention on the problem, we should focus our attention on the problem solver on the one who can fix it all. And when we worship, our view changes. Our vision is corrected. And we understand that in light of His power, His authority, His reach, His strength, and His ability, our problems are small and they're doable. Listen, I'm going to be transparent and honest with you this morning. I would stay depressed 
if I've constantly focused on my own ability and my own strength. You may not believe that, but I would. If I focused on what Sean Disney can do, my ability and my strength, I would stay depressed. But just one glimpse of what God can do to a life surrendered to Him, what God can do, that changes the focus. That changes everything. And then also, we, when we worship, we become like what we worship. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 5 says this. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? Watch this. They worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. It's imperative that we are rooted in praise so that we become more like God because we will ultimately become like what we worship. One writer said this, if you worship superficial things, your life will become superficial. If you worship perverted things, your life becomes perverted. If you worship evil things, your life becomes evil. If you worship the true God, your life becomes godly. Our goal in this church, and those of you, let me encourage you today and admonish you that followed the Lord in water baptism, and many of you that are new converts here today, our goal in this church is for you to become more Christ-like, for all of us to become more Christ-like together. Second Corinthians uh, in chapter 3, Paul tells us that as God's Spirit works in us, we become more and more and more like Him. But listen to your pastor this morning. If you worship something that's worthless, you become worthless. If you worship something of worth, you become a person of worth worth because worship changes us and when we worship God we're changed we are bettered and it's it's something that if, if when you walked in the door of this sanctuary this morning you saw above your head free to love free to serve free to worship and listen we are I would say 70 percent 60 70 percent of us did not come from Church of God or Pentecostal backgrounds, and that's wonderful. I love it. I love the diversity in this church. To me, none of that stuff matters anyway. Denominations don't matter anyway. But let me tell you something that, uh, that you might need to understand. Being free to worship means that at times, our worship will be intense. Our worship will be deep. Our worship will be, and I hope it's full of life, because nobody likes a dead church. Say amen, somebody. Our worship should be full of life, and our worship should assist people in an encounter with the Lord. That's our goal. Every time you attend a worship service here is that you encounter Jesus. And when we stay rooted to praise, that's what will happen. Which brings me next to purpose, which I'm going to focus on for just a few moments, and then I'm going to wrap this up. Everything has a purpose, right? Everything. A chair like what you're seated on today is, is designed to provide a place to sit and to support weight. And that intention determines its design. The same is true for us. Our purpose, is determined, uh, our purpose determines our design as a body of believers. Our purpose here is simple, and we do everything that we can to try to make it clear uh, for folks. And, and all of those that have taken uh, uh, membership have been through the Connect class, and we talk about our, our strategy statement in Connect class, which just simply says this, Freedom Point Church exists to reach non-believing people, to connect them with other Christians, to help them grow in their faith, and challenge the growing to discover their ministry and honor God with their lives. That's the purpose that we are rooted in. Listen, there are other 
causes and things that are great and even inspired by the Lord. But we've been given a mandate that this is what we are supposed to be about. Therefore, our purpose uh, is de- determines a simple design, a focused design. And in that design, we recognize that we are purposed to equip people to do the work of the ministry. And we are committed to helping you discover your purpose. Listen, it isn't enough for this church to know its purpose. You too must recognize your purpose and what God has called you to do. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, Paul makes it really clear when he says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Paul tells us that the body is fitted together. In another translation, he he says it this way, every joint, every part supplies. What does every part supply? By giving of the measure that we have. In other words, as each part finds and fulfills its purpose, the body is sustained and the body grows. Listen, folks, we each, everybody, nobody is exempt. We each have a specific God-given purpose. That is the revelation that Jeremiah received when God said to him, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came out of the womb, I sanctified you. David understood the same thing when he declared, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Both of these men understood that God fashioned us and God designed us and God has mapped out a destiny for each and every one of our lives. So our goal isn't just to come and worship and celebrate and feel good about God. That's part of it. But we do that because we know that as we encounter God, it'll help us discover our purpose in life and in the body of Christ. And we are rooted and grounded in helping each of you find your place and find your purpose. Listen, If you come to church the rest of your life and you can quote those core values on that wall without even looking at them, but you never discover your individual purpose in the kingdom, we will have failed miserably. Everybody has a work to do. You might have read my post this week. You all can go ahead and come to the music. I said something to the effect of when you ask yourself the question, why do you do what you do for God. Why do you do what you do for God? When you ask that question and answer it, it leaves very little room, regardless of what circumstances and situations look like, it leaves very little room to be discouraged. It leaves very little room to be complacent. And it leaves little to no room to To feel like you're insignificant and you can throw in the towel and quit. Are you with me this morning? It leaves no room. Why do you do what you do for God? See, here's the problem. You can go ahead and begin to play, Ben. Here's here's one of the problems that I see. Whoops, sorry. In the church today. And that is that many times people do things that they do and don't actually recognize that it's for God. Let me give you an example. You can be a singer on the worship team and you can sing because you're a good singer. And every single one that you heard this morning, they're good singers. And I'm not trying to preach this to them, I'm just using an example. 
You can sing because you're a good singer. And you can sing because you enjoy it. You can sing because you're comfortable with it and it keeps you in your comfort zone. You can sing because it's not an inconvenience for you. It's something you enjoy doing and and you're good at it. But if we're not careful, sometimes, regardless of what our role is or our position is, we'll end up doing things in the name of God that are actually for ourselves. And when that happens, discouragement easily comes. Getting downheartened or easily offended. Are you with me this morning? Easily comes. When that happens, the enemy... Why are you preaching this, Pastor? Because, number one, I'm charged with being a pastor. Uh, I love to preach messages where everybody's just swinging from the chandeliers. But today, here's the message. And we're in a series about going beneath the surface and going farther than surface deep. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm about fed up to hear with churches and ministries that are busting at the seams, but they're only surface deep. There's more than just going to church. There's more than just attending a service on a Sunday. There's more than just, uh, than just saying, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. There's a daily, intimate walk where those roots can grow deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And then when the enemy comes, the root system will hold you sturdy. The wind can blow. The storms can come. Everything can break loose in your life. But he will not be able to destroy you. He will not be able to break you. Why? Because you've gone farther than surface deep. You've took root. And God is establishing you. And keeping you where he wants you to be. That's what this is about this morning. And I look across this congregation. And it's such a beautiful thing. I see so many of you whose testimonies are so encouraging. And that's because, and some that got baptized this morning, so encouraging. I can't wait for Jacqueline to share her whole story with you. So encouraging. And you know why? That's because you've tapped into a root system. And you're growing deeper and deeper and deeper in Him. I don't ever want to preach a message that I don't give an invitation to the lost. And this is the first time in months that it's not been driven that way. So today, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus, there's a room full of people sitting right here that will testify this morning. Jesus Christ will be the best decision you'll ever make in your life. If you've never accepted Him, don't leave here today without accepting Him. If you'll come to this altar this morning, there'll be somebody that'll meet you here to pray with you. And it's a simple, it's a simple thing to give your heart and your life to Jesus. The Bible teaches us if we admit... Believe and confess, we'll be saved. Admit that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that Jesus Christ was the only Son of God. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He rose from the grave on the third day so that conquering death, hell, and the grave so that you and I could have eternal life if we believe that and invite Him into our heart. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we shall be saved. It's that simple. Somebody will meet you here today. But I want you to stand with me, if you will, all over the room this morning. And here's the message today. Here's what I want to share with you today. Together, say together. Together, let's find our purpose. Find your purpose where God has you. Let's get rooted. Let's go farther than surface deep together. Let's get rooted way beneath the surface. And in doing so, find God's purpose for your life and your purpose in God's church. Listen, let's worship together. 
Let's work together. But by all means, let's win together. What do you mean, Pastor? We need to win the lost one soul at a time. Let's worship so God will war and we can win together.